stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm going solo to discuss how you can be the best long-term investor you can be, basically. Be the best. How can you do it? And I kind of decided to talk about this topic this week because there's been a lot of um, chatter on on stock twits and Twitter about being long-term investor, about the volatility in the stock market, about a possibility of a recession coming, what that means for stock investors. And some of the bears, of course, were um, going on and on about how you have to prepare now for the coming stock market issues and that a bear is coming, sell everything, go to the sidelines or into whatever it is they're recommending you go into and, you know, basically like panic and go out of your strategy. But, um, you know, yes, volatility can be scary, but that's why I felt like I needed to do this podcast to give you all some tips on how you can be a long-term investor, even when there's volatility, even if we do get a bear market pullback, or if we just get another correction like we just had in December, that one was pretty scary, if you ask me. Um, And, you know, just give you some tips again, because I know I've covered this on the podcast before, but it's good to have these kind of reminders when things get volatile, because you start to get nervous, you start to look around going, "Uh, maybe I should be doing something. Should I be out of stocks here? What should I do? And so that's where the show is going to come in. So as we know, we had... um, the bad volatility last December, as I mentioned, and now in May of this year, that was not fun either. Uh, S&P 500 was down a little over 6.5%. It was the worst May in like seven years because May normally isn't that bad actually for the market. So it felt pretty bad because we did have that nice rally off the December sell-off and January, February, March, and even April we're pretty smooth going and everything bounced back and it was all like, la, we're, we're back again. So it was a little bit shocking to get the sell-off again in May. And all of this comes on the heels of the 2017 perfect market. Remember that one where we all got kind of complacent about what volatility was like because there was almost no volatility that year. Stocks mostly went up with a few exceptions like retail stocks. But if you bought the tech growth stock names, you were basically a genius, right? Like it only just went up and up and up. The S&P 500 was up almost 25% that year and the NASDAQ was up about 18.5%. Life was good. It was great. But 2018 was a different story and included that double digit decline I've already mentioned in November and December. And then since January 2nd of 2018, so at the beginning of that year, through, I put it through May, the end of May of this year, May t- uh, 27th of 2019, for some reason, Yahoo Finance was giving me the, the 27th. I kept trying to get it to give me the 31st and it would not, because their data is like a few days delayed. So now since we're, I'm recording this in the beginning of June, it's a little delayed. So for some reason, it's May 27th for their charts. The S&P over that time period, so almost 18 months in there, is up only 0.3%. So basically, it's gone nowhere. We did have the big sell-off in December. We had a big rally. We've pulled back a bit off of that. But for the last 18 months, it's basically gone nowhere. 
And a lot of the top tech names recently have pulled back as well. I took a look at the popular social media ETF. That's the ticker SOCL. You might be aware of this one. It's pretty popular, as I said. Um, over that same time period, so from January of 2018 through May 27th of 2019, it's actually down 11.4%. And that's with that recovery. So some of the social media stocks still um, having a little bit of difficulty over the last 18 months. And so again, this leads to some of the questions about what it takes to be a long-term investor. So you really have to know for long-term investing um, that you're in it for the long term. <laughs> and long term isn't really just, you know, six months or even one year. That may seem like long, like, hey, I want to buy the stock and I'm going to own it for a year. Seems like forever, but that's not really long term. It's not long term enough to, um, you know, be go through some cycles if you're in a down cycle to get the rebound. And, and it doesn't... It, gives you no room for error, essentially, for one year. Even three years is not really long enough to ride out like bad times. So for me, longer term investing really means probably like 10-year horizon. And I know for some of you, you're like, 10 years, I'll be old. It's like super long. There's no way I could hold anything for 10 years. But you really can. Uh, and so I'm going to go through some of the... Um, kind of tips I have on like how you can do it, even with these volatility, because remember, like you pretty much can move past the volatility easily, even though it's painful at the moment, because I know many of you aren't really remembering even the December sell off, although maybe some of you are. So let's go back a little bit further even. Um, does any, anyone even remember the Brexit sell-off, that one day that was in 2016, that was a crazy day. Everything was down like 5%. Every, like The world's global markets are like crashing. And then they recovered basically the next day. But most don't really remember that day. It's in the back of the mind, kind of foggy. So um, it's easy to move on, but it's hard at the moment. That's what makes long-term investing difficult because your emotions tell you, like, do something, danger, when, you know, there's sell-offs or volatility. So so my first tip is um, buy the indexes if you can't really handle the ups and downs of the individual stocks. And I know a lot of people say this. Warren Buffett says this advice all the time. Um, you know, just most investors should just be in the indexes. And it doesn't mean the indexes won't sell off either because, as I just said, in May, the S&P was down 6.5%. So if you own one of the indexes, you're down 6.5%. That's not, you know, it's that's still painful. But you at least can avoid usually the huge you know, daily sell-offs. You're not going to get um, a J. Jill situation. I don't know if you checked out that chart. The ticker is J-I-L-L. -L. It's down something like 70% now off of its uh, disappointing earnings report, but it wasn't that disappointing and the shares continue to plunge down. And so if you are owner of that one, there's little you can do you know, if it's like a 70% sell-off, that's like in crazy. Um, so 
way to do it is to buy indexes, get ones with low fees, like the Vanguard, some of my favorites. I know there's ones with like basically almost zero fees now, but the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF is VOO. It's just kind of a standard one. So that's V as in Victor, OO, to get one of those. And then you can also use them to diversify. You don't just need to own the S&P 500 if you're like, Tracy, that's boring. There's the small cap indexes. You can do a growth index. You can do a whole bunch of stuff now with the various ETFs. So buy the indexes if you can't handle the ups and downs of those individual stocks. And then my second tip is if you do own the stocks, make sure you have some diversity. Don't just own one industry. Don't own just one market cap, like all big caps. And then you have to ask yourself while you're looking at the portfolio, if you're a longer term investor, not necessarily if you're you know trading these stocks, but it, for the longer term, do you really need to own Micron, Broadcom, and Intel? <laughs> They're all semiconductors. Yes, I know they're different companies, obviously, and they might be in little different segments of the semiconductors, but ask yourself, do you really need to have more than one in your portfolio and um, why it is that you're doing those? Because maybe just one might suffice for the portfolio. Now, Warren Buffett has about 40% of his portfolio now in the financials, and that includes banks, insurance companies, various types of financials. That is huge, and I really don't recommend anybody follow his lead and be like that heavily weighted in one sector because it usually leads to some pain for most of us who are not Warren Buffett, basically. So don't overweight the one sector. And this always reminds me of the story, and I might have told it on the podcast in the past because when I was writing up my notes for this, I was like, haven't I talked about this? I think I have, but it's worth repeating because it's a good story. So In the 1990s, it wasn't just tech stocks that soared. It wasn't just Dell and Cisco and Microsoft that outperformed that, you know, there were all those Microsoft millionaires. There were people who bought like $1,000 worth of Dell in like 1990 and by 2000, it was worth like $800,000. There were all those people and yay, that's what the stock market is about and that's what we love about investing. There were also the people who bought the big drug stocks, and they too had super amazing gains. Many of them became millionaires by the end of that decade if they held all that time. And I wish I could find the actual article, and I did do a search for it, but it's so old now, and the internet wasn't the same back then. The magazines didn't put their articles on the internet like they do now. And so this article was in Money Magazine, and they used to have like an investing portfolio profile where like people would submit their portfolios. And I I think that actually they might still even have this feature. Um, I do get the magazine still now that I'm thinking about it. But um, this particular one, they were heavily invested in the drug stocks from the 1990s. And I want to say the profile was in like 2002 or so. So the dot-coms had busted It wasn't a bear market overall for the stocks, but they had like created a million dollar portfolio off of the drug stocks of the 1990s. And I want to say something like 80% of their portfolio was still in the drug stocks. And that's because it was such great performers, they could not resist still keeping it in there, even though the, you know, past gains don't necessarily mean future but when you have, you know, outperformance, then you get convinced that it'll keep going. So um, 
I took a look at just even Pfizer because I remember that Pfizer was one of the companies that they did own. These were just like the regular big cap drug stocks. These were not like the biotech ones. These were just like, you know, the mom and pop ones like the Mercs and all of those. So Pfizer, which is ticker PFE, from January 2nd, 1990 to January 3rd, 2000, it was up 1,167%. So you can see why they loved it. The S&P during that time wasn't too shabby either, but it was up 315%. So again, they felt like geniuses. I would too. If I was in any of those, if I was in Dell, Microsoft, any of them, I was like, this will go on forever. Um, Yet from February 1st of 2000, so a month uh, after I ended the last chart, to January 2nd of this year, so basically to the start of 1999, Pfizer is up only 32% during that time period. That's without the dividends, though. It does pay a nice dividend yield, which you could have been reinvesting. And the S&P 500 is up 103% over that time, which did include the Great Recession crash and all of that stuff. Um, so what happened to those people? I don't know. Did they stay 80% in there? That would have been... Um, real difficult to do. I'm sure they eventually ended up selling and diversifying out of there. So the moral of that story is be diverse um, or buy the indexes if you can't find the diversity somehow through your normal portfolio. Um, And I know, I know buying indexes, as I said earlier, that's boring. And I know I get this all the time on Twitter, but I won't get rich if I'm not, you know, buying these individual stocks like Pfizer. If I could buy Pfizer in 1990 again, if I can find that one now, then I'll do so much better than the S&P 500. Um, That is true. So I don't disparage anyone looking for that lottery stock at all because it's fun, right? But be diverse and, um, you know, if you have to really know your goals and for long-term investors, know why you're doing it. Is it to save for retirement? Is it for that second home? Is it the trip around the world? Um, Know what it is and how your investments are going to fit into that goal. And then, of course, the big question is, what about a recession in a bear stock market? Should you sell everything and move into cash like all the bears are saying? Or should you go into treasuries? Or should you do like the the triple short ETFs and try to time it and all of that? Again, the only advice I can give is to know your own goals and your risk tolerance. How soon will you need that money in the account? So no investment should keep you up at night. I say this all the time. Um, And it's also good to know when it's okay to throw in the towel on an investment. You know, if something's stressing you out, if it's a loss and you're just tired of, you know, contemplating that you're going to take a loss in that stock, or if it's just a company that is frankly just not working out and the stock's going nowhere. And so you get angry when you listen to the conference calls, you curse the CEO and you curse the board and you wonder why aren't they doing anything to turn around this company. Eh, Those could be signs that maybe that's not okay for you. So Um, these are just some clues and things to know yourself as an investor. No one else knows your risk tolerance, no investment advisor, um, no podcast can tell you what you should do if there's a recession and the stock markets decline. 
And always remember, a recession doesn't necessarily mean the stock markets will decline. They don't necessarily go hand in hand, but everybody acts like they do, right? This is what I'm hearing all over Twitter. Oh, we're going to recession. Stocks are going to crash. Oh my gosh. Well, in the 1990s, we did have a recession. In that 10 years that you could have owned Pfizer up, you know, almost over 1100%, there was a recession in that decade. There was also a war and a presidential impeachment trial. So what's happening in the economy, yes, is reflected a lot of times in the stock market. And there was um, a pause in that bull market during the 1990s when there was a recession. But crashes don't necessarily correlate with um, recessions, um, crashes in the stock market. So um, I know a lot of us are going off of the 2008-2009 Great Recession, rightly so, but everyone is different. So every market cycle is different and there's no guarantees. As we saw in December 2018... If the bears do come out to play, they usually do come out for like everything. There's nowhere to hide in a broad market sell-off. There really wasn't anywhere to hide in December 2018 either. So all you could do is take the pain and then look for buying opportunities. And if you did manage to buy, you know, just after Christmas Eve when it looked like the doom was in and everybody was panicking on Christmas Eve. If you bought during that like short holiday period when the market is closed and then reopened and it's the new year and everybody's like, what's going to happen? You know, you might have gotten some deals there. So that's something to keep in mind too, especially for long-term investors. If you have 10 year plus Investing horizon, when stocks go on sale, you're getting them cheaper, obviously, and it's good to take advantage. So if you can't take the stress, too, of what's happening in your portfolio for a long-term portfolio, um, you might want to quit looking at the statement. I know this is kind of radical to say, but if you're saving for something that's literally 20, 30, maybe even 40 years down the road, say those are your retirement accounts, You don't need to be checking it every day on your app. That's all I'll say about it. Um, I've gone quite a long time, several years, without looking at my own 401k portfolio. Uh, I put money in it every month. I know what those allocations are. I don't need this money for a long time in the horizon. Why am I going to look at it as long as I know where it's going and it's going into, you know, indexes basically. So there's nothing I can do about sell-offs. I'm not going to need that money. I like my allocations. So it's actually reduced my stress by not looking at it. So let's recap what some of the tips are again to help you keep your goals and focus on the long-term when you're trying to long-term invest. So the number one thing is to know what your goals are. Is it five years, 10 years, 30 years? And what is it for? Retirement, college education, paying for some big ticket item, a new house, a new vacation home, that boat, all of these things um, go into what your goal is because that's the point of investing for the long term is it's leading you towards something. Then obviously know your time frame. The less time you have, the more difficult it is because um, you do get these market cycles and 
you might need longer time period to withstand, you know, a big sell-off or something along those lines. So know your own time frame. Be diverse. Don't be Warren Buffett and have all your money in financials. He can do it because he's Warren Buffett, but everybody else pretty much cannot do it. So be diverse, whether or not that's in just your stock holdings or even in your ETFs, um, have diversity in there. And then if you can't take the heat and it's just too stressful to be a long-term investor, then make changes to your investing where you can. Um, Maybe you need to be in less aggressive investments. Maybe you need more dividend investments. I just did a podcast on the REITs because people are finding they like getting the income coming in. It's kind of fun to get like a, a check. Suddenly it shows up in your trading account. And yeah, maybe you got like, you know, one and a half shares of something, <laughs> but it's like fun. You're like, ooh, free money. Like I'm getting this, not totally free because you do pay taxes on it, but still it's like fun to suddenly see like you're getting a little bit of payment in there. So Look for ways to make it less stressful on yourself if you're doing the longer term. And even, like I said, um, putting it just in the basic indexes. And then one final reminder, what worked in one decade may not work for another. Um, And especially in individual stocks, always do your homework because companies can change, as I've talked about in the past with like General Electric, for instance. That's a long-term hold of many, many investors. But people who own the company here in 2019 may not recognize it as the same one that they owned in 1999. And the same is true of those drug companies, as well as even the tech companies. I mean, heck, look at Microsoft. There was no cloud when I owned it in 2000. There was no LinkedIn. Um, There was no Skype. I could go on and on with like how different these companies are, even just like one decade later, let alone two. So keep that in mind and always revisit your stocks if you own individual companies and make sure that you still like what they're doing because you may not. So those are just some of my tips and we'll see what happens with this market volatility I'm sure I'll be hearing some more from the bears and the panic um, over the course of 2019. But for long-term investors, it's good to keep your eye on the prize and try to tune out some of that noise because you have the longer-term outlook. And that's a great thing to have. That's to your benefit. That's a big bonus. So don't lose um, that uh, long-term outlook. Okay, let me recap some of the stocks we did talk about today. I didn't really give like specific stocks in the port- in the, the podcast this week, but some of them still mentioned. So I'm going to go over the tickers. Now, again, the Vanguard ETF is just VOO. And I did mention the social media ETF, if you want to own a basket of the social media stocks, and they have pulled back here. That ticker is S-O-C-L. There's also one for the Chinese stocks if you're interested in getting in social media and like gaming and stuff over there, but you don't want to do the individual companies. And I think that's K-W-E-B is the ticker for that one over there. And then I mentioned some of the semis. You all know the tickers on these. Um, Micron is MU, Broadcom is A-V-G-O, Intel, I-N-T-C. And then there's also, of course, just all the big tech 
guys we've mentioned over the time period and including like Microsoft is MSFT. And then there's Pfizer, which is kind of the poster boy of um, good one decade, but not so great after that. And that ticker is PFE. I did look up to see what that one was trading at now, and it's trading at 14 times. So it's on the cheaper side, and it has been for years, but not as cheap as it used to be, actually. used to be a little bit cheaper on the PE side. Um, But these are all ones that on the drug side, you have to really do your own investigations on those and find out what is in the pipeline and all of that. But as always, I try to bring you some stock ideas every week or just some advice in general on um, investing. And you can always get the podcasts on the SoundCloud. I know many of you are subscribed over there now. And we are under the Zach's Market Edge on SoundCloud. We are on Apple Podcasts as well as the Market Edge. And we're on Spotify now. And I know we're adding a lot of subscriber on Spotify. So that's good to see too. But get us somewhere so you don't miss a single show. Because I'm always bringing you um, some good trading ideas and stock investing ideas every week. So I'll be back again next week with some more stocks.